Let's prepare our hearts for worship this morning with Sharon Cheney on the piano. Thank you, Sharon. I want to welcome all of you to worship this morning. Uh, Before we get started with our service, I have several announcements I'd like to make. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Lee and Diane Cadahendrick's 53rd wedding anniversary, which they will be celebrating on Wednesday, March 1st. So congratulations to both of them. Also, Pastor Joel was not with us today. And his Bible study class is canceled for the day, but it will resume next week as scheduled. And along with Pastor Joel leaving us today, to fill our pulpit this morning, we welcome our youth pastor, Tori Russell, as she will be delivering her first sermon with us today. So we're anxious to hear what God has placed on her heart to share with us this morning. Ash Wednesday service with communion and ashes is this Wednesday, March 1st at 7.30 p.m., Also, Wonderful Wednesdays will be starting on March 8th and will continue every Wednesday through April 5th. The schedule for those days is in your bulletin this morning. And we just wanted to make sure that everyone is aware that dinner for those days is open to anyone in our community. So please bring your family and friends along with you and join us for those Wednesday nights for evening meal. Uh, Next Sunday, following church, there will be a Wonderful Wednesdays Meeting for all volunteers that will be in the social room in the basement immediately following our worship service that morning. One other announcement I have, I've just been told this morning that we want to welcome or make happy birthday to Aaron Rohrball, who turns 40 today. So, congratulations. My last announcement for the day is the church pictorial is available in the back of the sanctuary over there along the wall. If you have had your photograph taken for the book or have provided a photo for the book, there will be a book back there with your name on it. We also have extra copies, and we are charging $10 each for those. So now to start our worship service, would you please stand and join me in our call to worship this morning, which is taken from parts of Psalm 95 and also parts of Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon 
were falling on Mount Zion. For the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Master, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Continue to stand as we sing our next hymn, number, 100, or number 97 out of the blue hymnal. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Children, come forward for the children's chat with Mrs. Lammers. Just take a moment and greet one another. Good morning. Did you have a touch of spring this week? Did you get your bikes out? Did anybody open windows up at home? Get all the creepy crawly critters out of the house? Did you? No? No? You got creepy crawly critters in your house then yet, huh? No? Well, spring. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that happens with tricycles, doesn't it? Spring is such a neat time, and you've heard the word spring house cleaning, haven't you? What do you, what does mom do or grandma talk about spring house cleaning? We used to do a lot of that a long time ago, and then we decided it wasn't worth all that. It was going to get dirty again anyway. Right? Well, with spring comes lint. You know what lint is? Is that that fuzzy stuff on your clothes? No? Lint is when we start getting ready for Easter and prepare to go to the cross. And it's kind of like an Advent. You'd have Advent Advent, uh, calendars at home where you check off the days and everything to eat to Christmas. I do. Do you? Well, we've got, I've got on the front bench there Lent calendars that you can X off on the way to Easter as we move towards the cross. But Lent is a lot like uh, spring house cleaning because... If we open up the windows and have our screens in, we get all that fresh air in the house. Well, you know, we can open our Bibles up 
and read more, and God will put all kinds of more fresh ideas. So if we open up the windows, we think about opening up our Bibles and getting our hearts ready with new and refreshing things from God. Well, then we also clean out the clutter, don't we? We put those winter coats away and our gloves away and the scarves away and all that winter stuff. It's a little early to this morning to do that. But we get all that stuff put out of the way and then we can look forward to spring. Well, that's the same thing. You know, we've got things in our lives that clutter things up. Yeah, and we have to get those things out of the way, too. Now, clutter, I would think, uh, would you consider Kendall's clutter? Yeah, yeah, yeah? Mm, I'm not getting affirmative on that. Television, cartoons. Sometimes that stuff takes up all of our time. Maybe mom and dad are on Facebook or the computer. That takes up time, too. Yeah. Well, sometimes we need to put those things off to the side a little bit. Put that clutter off to the side because it takes away the time that we can pray and talk to Jesus about things that are on our heart. Well, we sweep up at spring, too. That means we sweep up all the dirt that we didn't see when it was cloudy outside. Did you ever hear your parents go, oh, my goodness, look at that cobweb when the sun shone? You wonder if that's the only thing holding the house together. So we clean and we sweep and we clean all that stuff out of us. And sometimes we have dust and dirt and stuff in our heart that needs to be cleaned up too. Maybe we said something not very nice to our brother or sister or maybe accidentally bumped them on purpose or maybe we weren't nice or shared at school. And those are things we have to talk to God about and get that those bad things out of off of our heart and talk to Jesus about forgiving us for those things that we've done wrong. So we know that, he, you know, he, God, will forgive us. And then there's one other thing we do in the spring. Do we do anything outside in the spring? Yeah. What do we do? Do you plant things in the spring? And you play, yes. And we plant flowers, we plant gardens, we plant all these things and watch them grow. And you ride your bike. And, you know, we can plant seeds of love in our other people's hearts by the way we act, if we are kind, helpful, and we can tell them about Jesus. So for Lent, I'd like you to think of something you can do that will be something beautiful For someone else and do it in the name of Jesus, the one who really did something really beautiful for you when he died on the cross. So as you go through the next days, 40 days until Easter, starting Wednesday. That's not counting Sundays. You'll see that on your little calendar down there. But I want you to think about ways that you can spring house clean your heart Spring house, clean your heart, and get ready as we move towards the cross. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. Help us to open up our Bibles, clear out our clutter, sweep up our messes, and plant seeds of love. Help us to grow in our journey to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week in Iraq, the battle to retake western Mosul is underway with the capture of the airport and so forth. Also keep in your hearts and minds the family of Private First Class Brian P. Ordin, Odiorn, I should say, 21, from Ware, Massachusetts, who died in our service in Anbar Province in Iraq. Thank you, Jay. Let us go to our God in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day and the privilege of being able to gather in your house this morning to worship and praise you. We have been called by you to pray for people in need, 
And each Sundays we have a concerns list in our bulletin. But, Father, we also know that there are many more family members and friends who need your help. Some who need healing and others who are dealing with issues in their lives that, that need to be addressed. We pray that you'd be with them in the middle of their situations, whatever they may be. And, Father, sometimes we think we know what is best for them, but, but Lord, we just lift them up to you this morning and pray that your will will be done. And then in everything, you will receive the glory. Father, we pray for our wonderful Wednesdays, for the opportunity to touch the lives of our school children and their families. We ask for your blessings on this outreach program. Lord, we pray for the men and women of our armed forces around the world who protect the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. Sadly, we know that freedom is not free, and, and Father, we pray for the families of those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms. We live in a troubled time, Father, and we, your children, have strayed from your word and teachings. We pray for your forgiveness. We pray for unity in our nation, and when decisions need to be made by the leaders of our country, we pray that they would come to you for guidance. Heavenly Father, as Pastor Joel has been preaching the last several weeks, you have been instructed us to be your disciples, to reach out to people and, and to spread the word of, of your love and glory. Many times we find that difficult to do, whether whether we just seem to can't find the words or sometimes we don't know how to go about it. And I'm afraid to say that other times we are just afraid to leave our comfort zone. But, Lord, through your prayers to you, we will be comforted in knowing that you are with us always. And through you, all things are possible. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers that we bring to you this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory Our morning's offering will go to the missionary work of Ben and Lindsay Balmer. As the deacons come forward to collect the offering, our choir will perform One Faith, One Hope, One Lord.
would ask you to remain standing as we hear our scripture reading today, which comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Hear the words of Paul. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I ask you to remain standing and bring out your blue hymnals and turn to page 277 and sing the wonderful hymn, The Church's One Foundation. for this morning. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak the words that you've placed on my heart and to share with your people. Lord God, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that our mind and our hearts and our ears would be open to what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would be big and I would be little. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us be obedient to what you have for us, Lord, and that what we hear we would obey. Amen. So before I begin, you all have this beautiful yellow sheet. Thank you, Connie, for making it yellow. Um, It's my favorite color. Um, And I want to draw your attention to that because uh, when I teach at youth group, I like to give our students a weekly challenge, Uh, something for them to think about for the next week. And usually we get to talk about that in our small groups, but we won't have that opportunity this morning. So I just gave it all to you right there. And I want you to hold on to that, and I will explain 
a lot more about it later on. Uh, but keep that handy, and my prayer is that you guys would use that over the next week to live into what it means to be a church in action. So just north of San Francisco is the Muir Woods. It's an incredible forest that houses some of the largest living trees on earth, the sequoia trees. These trees are massive. They are so big you can drive your car through some of them. These trees can grow up to 250 feet tall and stand for as many as 1,500 years. If you were to ask these trees how they have stood through all sorts of weather and stayed standing for centuries, they wouldn't point to their deep roots. In reality, their roots are only about four feet into the ground. These trees would tell you that the only way that they are still standing is because they have mingled their roots together with the other trees around them to keep them standing. Sequoia trees never grow alone. They always grow in groves because they need the support of their other trees to keep them standing. Their roots are so entwined with the other trees around them that when the storms or bad weather come, they can depend on each other for support and remain standing. I tend to learn a lot from nature, and God speaks to me through his creation because everything in creation points to his majesty, his glory, and his bigness. That's probably why I love snow. Snow is very peaceful. And yes, I am still praying for snow. So pray with me if you want. But anyway, so I think we can learn a lot from nature. And I think we have a lot to learn from these massive sequoia trees, especially when it comes to being united with other believers. These trees know exactly how to unite together to stand the test of time. And they know that they are better together than they are individually. I believe that this is the type of unity that Paul is calling the church of Ephesus to and that we are being called to today. Paul was all about unity. And in fact, the book of Ephesians got the name the unity book because over and over and over again, we see Paul begging and asking the church to be united together in Christ. Paul says in in chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So when we become Christ followers, we instantly receive our first assignment, and that's to live out our faith. So we're kicked into action, and we are called to live out our faith into the world. And Paul spells out exactly why we are supposed to do that in Ephesians 1 through 3. He says that we are chosen to be God's children, holy and blameless in sight. In love, God sent his son to die for our sins so that we may no longer be dead in our sins, but alive in Christ. Because of the work that Christ did for us on the cross, we are now heirs of Christ and children of God. And now we have the wonderful opportunity to share in the promises of Christ. So Paul explained at the beginning of Ephesians the call that he is referring to in verse 1. And then he places the responsibility on us as individuals and as the church to live that out. So how do we live out this call? Well, I believe that this call is both an individual call and a corporate call as members of the church. Individually, we can live out our call through our daily lives by doing our best to represent Christ and our status as Christ followers to the world around us. That means that our actions, our choices, the way we carry ourselves at work, at home, in the community, all of that should reflect Christ. As his disciples, we have to continually live out our faith in the world around us. Philippians 1.27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, whether I come come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Conducting ourselves in a manner of the gospel is a lot easier said than done, and I'll be the first to admit that I don't always do that well. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always do that well, and it's something we fall short on, and that's okay because we serve a perfect God. We're never going to be perfect at living out our faith, but we can continually strive and do our very best to to, uh, conduct our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to God. My old youth pastor, Brian, always told us that we might be the only Bible someone ever reads. I always hated it when he said that, when he told us that, because it convicted me. Because more often than not, my, my actions in my life don't always reflect Christ. Because we're human, right? We all have things that get on our nerves that detract from our relationship for Christ. But one thing I do like about that question is that it causes us to take a step back. 
it causes us to examine our hearts and our life and ask ourselves the question, does my life reflect the Bible? If someone were to look at my life today, would they see Christ in me? And I think that's a question that we need to continually ask ourselves. Does my life reflect Christ? As Christ followers, it's important that we continually live out our faith on a daily basis and that we strive to be the reflection of Christ in the world around us. But we can't do it alone, and we're not meant to do it alone, thank goodness. The call that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 is also a call to the church as a whole to live out their faith as a body of believers united together. So Pastor Joel just finished an awesome sermon series on our church's mission statement. He gave us all great practical ways to live into the mission statement as the church and also as individuals. But that sermon series was just the beginning. It would be really easy for us to say, that was a great sermon series. I learned a lot about the church. I learned a lot um, about why we're living into this mission statement and move on. But that's exactly what we should not do. Our call as a church is our mission statement. That's what we have to be continually living into as a body of believers here at First Church. So I want to challenge us to continue to commit to being the church that, can, that continues to be a community of faith who engage in biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ by encountering our Creator, embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to become his disciples, empowering lives through God's living word, the Bible, engaging with the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction, encouraging others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God, and enriching the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. The beautiful thing about being called to actively live out this mission statement at First Church is that we don't do it alone. All of us in this room are able to do that together. Because we are part of one body of believers, we have an awesome support system right here that can encourage us to keep living into and living out our faith as a church. It would be really easy for me to stop here and say, okay, all you have to do is live out your faith and have a great day. And trust me, my nerves would thank me. (laughs) But I'm not going to stop there because Paul didn't stop there. He calls us to be united in action by living out our call actively in the world around us as disciples of Christ. But he also takes it a step further and calls us to be united in our attitudes too. I think that being united in our attitudes is a little more difficult than being united and actively living out our faith. In order to be united in our attitude, we have to, as Paul says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One thing I love about God is that he didn't create us all alike. He knew that that would be really boring. We all have different opinions, interests, worldviews, etc., etc. I could go on. But I think he created us all so different so that we would learn what it means to truly love each other with Christ-like love. But because we are all created differently, it makes it easier for us to let things divide us. If you look at our world today, there's a lot of divisions between people. Political divisions, socioeconomic divisions, church divisions, and many more things. And it would be really easy for us to just kind of corner ourselves off and to stay with the people that look like us, act like us, think like us. But that's exactly what we're not supposed to do. When Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, his goal was to get the Ephesians to see that because Christ went to the cross for everybody, that there shouldn't be divisions among believers. That they should all be united as one body of believers working towards the same goal to live out their faith as individuals and as the church. He's not saying that everyone and everything need to be the same. God created us all unique, and I think God loves diversity. He wouldn't have created us all differently if he didn't want to celebrate the diversity of the body. And so we need to celebrate that diversity and not let trivial things divide us as believers. So how can we be united even though we're a diverse group of believers? Well, the good news is that unity is already here. Unity was given to us from God as a gift. It does not need to be established because it already exists. Unity just needs to be valued and maintained. So how do we value and maintain unity? Well, by doing just as Paul says, being completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. First, we have to shift how we see the people around us. Every single person on this earth, from the best of the best to the worst of the worst, are all created in the image of God. 
It doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, their past, whatever. But because God loved them enough to bring them into this world, they are created in the image of God. Sometimes I think it's easy for us, myself included, to forget that. When people annoy us, when people hurt us, when we see different things on the news, um, it's really easy for us to forget that the people that we want to fire back comments at are also made in the image of God. Seeing people as made in the image of God allows us to begin to shift our attitudes when we interact with those around us. We may not always agree with them or share their same values and views, but because they are made in God's image and we are his image bearers and disciples, we need to humble ourselves and treat everyone with respect, love, and humility. So in order to maintain unity, we have to be completely humble and gentle. Humility is not about drive, energy, or ability, but it's about valuing. It's an awareness that all we are and all we have is from God. The humble person refuses to value self above others or to assign more privilege or importance to self than to others. Gentleness conveys sensitivity, a desire not to harm, and a valuing of the other person. With gentleness, people can be nurtured. Jesus did all of this beautifully, but he did it in a way that was gentle. If you look at his life and his ministry, he could have easily exerted his power as the Son of God and pulled the God card and had many different situations turn out differently. But he chose to teach people instead. He chose to humble himself and become a teacher and to teach people through stories and experiences and modeling in order to get them in the direction that he wanted them to go. He chose to be humble and to gently lead people rather than forcefully pushing them in a direction that he wanted to go in. Paul also tells us that in order to maintain unity, that we need to be patient and bear with one another in love. The love that Paul is talking about here is the hard love. It's the love that you all know what I'm talking about that requires a lot of patience. It's the love that 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 talks about. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love is a daily choice that requires a lot of patience. A couple weeks ago, Jake and I had a fight over something really silly, and I got offended. And after we talked it out, you know, made up, it was all good, I was still a little bit grumpy. And he asked, and it was so sweet, he said, do you still love me? And I said, of course I still love you, but right now I don't really like you. (laughs) But this is exactly what love looks like sometimes, that we love the person. I love Jake, and he loves me. And yes, we are still getting married in seven months, (laughs) but we don't always like each other, right, honey? (laughs) But love is a choice. It's the act of caring enough to give attention to people. In order to love like Christ's love, we need to have patience. That means that we value others enough to give them room to fail, to learn and to develop. And when people do fail, we have the awesome opportunity to come alongside them and encourage them and love them and support them. It means speaking truth and love, even when it's hard, even when the words hurt to say to the other person. It also means loving someone enough to stand by them, even when you don't think you can stand next to them any longer. This love means that we embrace people for who they are and give them a safe place to be accepted and to belong in our churches. It's also the love that Jesus showed his disciples when a couple of them turned their backs on him during his final days. He still loved them. These attitudes that Paul tells us to take on are difficult, but they are essential to maintaining unity and peace within the body of Christ. Finally, Paul tells us that the reason we are to maintain unity is because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So think back to those sequoia trees I talked about a little earlier on. These trees have this whole unity thing down. They are united in action. They know that their job is to cleanse and purify the air and to be a home to many animals. They are united in attitude. These these trees know that in order to stand for years and years to come, they have to be united together in their root system. 
And they all share one goal, to continue to grow together and to become stronger and stay standing for many years to come. We are called to be like these trees, united as one body, serving and striving towards one goal. We cannot be mature Christians by ourselves. We cannot give ourselves everything we need for a life of faith. Christ could supply all of our needs directly, but instead he chose to grace other people so that they can contribute to us and we to them. Unity for the sake of agreeing with each other all the time is not the goal. Unity in Christ is. It's the unity that comes from a shared faith and a shared knowledge of Christ. That's our goal. As Christ followers, we are striving towards the same goal, to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ and to serve him in everything we do. Being united together does not mean that we all think alike, agree on everything, look the same, do the same things. That would be boring. But it simply means that we come together and we set aside our differences for Christ. The picture that we are given in the first church of the book, in the book of Acts beautifully describes what this unity looks like. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first, the first church in Acts knew what it meant to be united in Christ. They were constantly striving to look, act, and be more like Christ. They weren't all the same. They most likely came from various backgrounds, and I can bet you they probably all didn't agree with each other at different points. But for Christ, they set aside their differences. They came alongside of each other and broke bread daily and prayed for one another and worked towards the common goal of serving the kingdom of God. This is what true unity looks like. It's not something that can come from the pastors of the church, as Pastor Joel and I cannot maintain that unity by ourselves, but it comes from the church body and the members itself. We are called to be a church in action, a body of believers that is constantly living into and living out our faith in the community and the world around us. So, remember that challenge sheet that I told you about this week? I want you to take that out really quick, because there are four questions on here that I'm going to go through, and it's to help you think about how you can live into and live out being in a part of the body of Christ. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I do want to highlight question number three. So we talked about being united in our attitudes, right? Um, and I think that question three is a good test. I like to call it the love test. And I did this with our students last week. Um, so you'll notice that 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 8 is there. But instead of having the word love, where the blanks are, we've, we've taken the word out and put blanks there um, for you to put your name in. And so it would read something like this. Tori is patient. Tori is kind. Tori does not envy. Tori does not boast. You get the idea. But I want you guys to put your name in there and to take the love test. I will tell you, in all honesty, I failed the first one. I am not patient at all. My mom always told me that patience, patience was a virtue, and I always told her it's one I didn't get. <laughs> so it, it'll, it's kind of eye-opening. And when I did it with our students last week, I got a lot of, ooh, oh, Tori, I don't like this. I feel like I'm lying. I'm not good at this stuff. Uh, but it's good to see where our hearts are at. And then the last one is I want you to consider what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Being a part of the body of Christ means that you come alongside of each other, you serve in the community and in the church. And let me tell you, there are so many areas in our church where you guys could get involved. As being, being part of the body means that we are involved with the lives of those around us. And so I want you to prayerfully consider maybe God is pushing you in a direction to serve at our church or in the community. Um, and if you feel that God is pushing you in that way, go and tell someone. It's really fun to be able to share in that joy with each other. And then go and do it. Go and live out your faith actively with the body of Christ. So those are my challenges to you this week. And I hope that you will take, that, take them on um, and think about them throughout this week. But 
I'm not going to be a teacher and check your answers. So it's up to you to live into that. But I want to encourage you that if you do plug into the body of Christ, you will not regret it. Trust me, I would, not, I would not be standing here today if I had not taken the challenge on to plug in and live out my faith within the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you guys to do that as well. So if you guys will stand um, and open your blue hymnals to uh, hymn number 284, they'll know we are Christians by our love. benediction is going to look a little different this morning. I'm going to ask you to remain standing, and I'm going to ask you to take your two hands and place them on two people around you. So you might have to move across the aisle, um, but I ask you to move right now and place your hands around each other. All right, I'm going to read Ephesians 3:14 through 20, and I'm going to ask that you pray this over the person that your hands are on, uh, silently. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with the power and through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.